What's good, Partrain fam? We are back for another episode. This is Evan Singer, your host. Unfortunately, Stratton and Serm had a conflict. So this was a one-on-one with my boy, one of our favorite guests, Oliver Horvitz. He's been on the show. This is will be his third time. Um, his first episode early on in the podcast was called The Most Interesting Caddy in the World. And he really lived up to it. So this could be one of those scenarios where I could introduce his background and all of the amazing things he's done for like three minutes. Um, I'll do a couple things, but I will say um, Ali is one of the greatest people um, that I've had a chance to talk to. He's a great guy, but he's also just an example of living out your dream. The guy just makes things happen and he's found a way to travel around the world, play golf and, and create stories. Um, and he gets paid for it. So you guys probably know him from writing his his New York Times bestselling book, An American Caddy at St. Andrews. Um, he's written for Sports Illustrated, Golf Digest, Golf World, Golf Week, etc. Uh, he was award-winning, Emmy award-winning producer for the documentary about Pratima Sherpa. And now he's got his own show on NBC. It's called Caddy Codes, where it's like three to four minute short shows, just Google Caddy Codes. And... They're awesome. I mean, what better way to get to know someone and interview someone than carrying their clubs for them, right? So he's got Jimmy Roberts from um, Sportscaster, Michael O'Keefe, the caddy from Caddyshack. Um, the list goes on. So you guys are going to love this. We talked through his travel stories as well as just great life lessons. If, if you have ever had a dream, something creative, uh, writing perhaps, um, we go into that and see what works for him. So Buckle up. This is a good one. Highly recommend going to the end. And uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. All right, and we're back for another part train. Based on the illustrious introduction I gave earlier, um, I got to say, this is one of my favorite guests. Ali, I think this is your third time on the part train, so you're joining an elite crew. Uh, welcome back to the show. Feels good to be back on the train. Wow. I mean, I got to say, I said this last time you were on the show, but if you haven't, we'll get into your other stuff in more detail. But I want to say, if, if you haven't read the book, American Caddy at St. Andrews, I'll never forget it. I bought it back in, I think it was 2010, uh, on my way to see St. Andrews for the first time uh, for the Open when um, Louis Oosthuizen won. Uh, I just remember reading it. It's one of my yep. favorite books. Definitely one of my favorite golf books for sure. It's just an incredible story um, about your life for going college for a year and, and your stories of, of catting and going to the University of St. Andrews. So if you haven't read that, pick it up on Amazon. It's fantastic. Um, but now oh, you're the it. host of your own show, Caddy Codes, with NBC slash Golf Channel. Yeah, caddy coat's quite quite a stretch for me, huh? <laughs> hey, the guy knows it's, his uh, name. Yeah, I, it's just definitely staying in my land right now. It's um, it's really it's been really fun. So basically, it's a uh, it's a ten episode season, um, three to four minute episodes. So they're short and sweet. But I go and have adventures around the world of caddying, and um, and so I got involved in it last year. And, and uh, the ones that are up right now are. Uh, Fanny Sunnison in Sweden. Um, she's only like one of my heroes. Uh, she was Nick Faldo's caddy, as you probably know, and then she's caddied for everybody under the sun. Henrik Stenson. She did a little bit with Sergio Garcia. 
she caddied for Zach Johnson, Michelle Wee. Uh, the list goes on. She's like pretty much the coolest person on the planet. She was super nice. So we go over to Sweden and I caddy for her um, as she plays herself and she's really good at golf. That was fun. Um, she's got an amazing swing. And then I caddied for uh, Michael O'Keefe, who played real life Danny Noonan in Caddyshack. So getting to caddy for Danny Noonan uh, was definitely golf bucket list uh, 1,000%. Right. <laughs> he was super cool. And then uh, then the other episode that's up right now is uh, Jimmy Roberts, uh, as you'll know from NBC, who's just a broadcasting legend. But he used to caddy uh, when he was a kid in upstate New York. Um, or not even upstate, just in Westchester. So he, he's from the, kind of from the city area. Uh, so getting to pretty much go around and, and hang with either famous caddies or people connected to caddying or golf, uh, you know, that's not like... That's not the worst, uh, the worst episode kind of uh, idea in the world. <laughs> well, so I was. It's funny you say that because I was like, okay, so NBC Sports launches a new ecom site called Shop with Golf, and in the process they say, hey, Ali, as a part of us selling new golf gear, we want to fly you around the world to caddy for famous people. Are you in? Yeah, that's a hard yes for me. <laughs> that's an immediate, immediate yes. Um, and I'm, you know, I just rack my brains like, who do I want to uh, pick the brains of in the in the world of caddying? And I made a list, and we tried to go through that list. And you know, it's like tracking down your own heroes and being like, hey, hi, Fanny, uh, can any interest in in hanging out with me for a day? And you know, and everyone's been so far has been really like super excited about it. The the one with Fanny, the, the craziest part is she brought all of her old yardage books, Evan, from uh, mm-hmm. a bunch of these iconic wins um, uh, that she's had. So, like, I'm literally holding the 1990 Masters yardage book that Fanny builds up on her for her very first tournament. And I'm holding this thing, and I'm like, oh, my God. I, I was like, this is just golf history right in my hands. And, uh, oh, man, it was so cool. Funny story, by the way, about when Fanny played in that, or when she caddied in that first uh, first ever Masters. She was only 22, and she it was her first time in Augusta, because Nick had only asked her to caddy for him starting the year before in 89. Mm-hmm. So Fanny gets over to Augusta. She's never seen it, but I mean, literally, she's never seen it, because they back in Sweden in 90, they weren't getting the Masters yet uh, televised there. So she gets the course sort of blind. So she's spending the week... Uh, in a house nearby the course with her buddy, Steve Williams. We all know. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're best buddies at this point. They're sharing a house and they're joking to each other like, man, you know what? One day I feel like we're going to be in a playoff against each other to win. I just feel like one of the, you know, one of these years it'll happen. Well, guess what? Uh, that first year, Nick Faldo's in a playoff after 72 holes. He's tied with Raymond Floyd. And guess who's caddying for Raymond Floyd? Steve Williams. So literally the first tournament that they are uh, spending, you know, the week together at for the Masters, Fanny and her best friend Steve Williams are against each other in the playoffs. Isn't that crazy? Incredible. Yeah, she came out on top. So this is a selfish question because, you know, we run a show and, and we invite guests on. And I know it's a lot of times it's tough to, to get people. What was the process for you? Uh, to first identify who you wanted to interview, but secondly, to go out and, and get them on the show. What's that process like? Oh man, it's it's different for every single person. You know, I I made up my sort of dream list of of people and 
in uh, in the world of caddying that I've just always grown up, you know, idolizing and and talking about in the St. Andrews Caddy Shack and. You know, you make up that list, and you probably have an idea of who's on that list. But Fanny's Fanny's definitely like right up at the top. And then it's different for each person. Fanny was uh, Facebook. <laughs> I reached out to her on Facebook, just uh, said, "Hey, it's Ollie. Uh, you know, used to caddy at St Andrews, and uh, blah blah blah." And uh, Michael O'Keefe, everyone knows him as Danny Noonan, right? But mm-hmm. he actually was an Academy Award nominee for uh, the Green Santini, which if anyone hasn't seen, that's a quite incredible film. It's him and uh, Robert Duvall. So Michael keeps in, uh, I'm like, ooh, he's in a play at the Cherry Lane Theater in Greenwich Village uh, in four days is his final performance. I got to go to that play. So I go see it and I wait, uh, I wait for him outside. So it looks like I'm just a total fanboy waiting outside to get his autograph. He comes out, I'm like, hey, Michael, uh, can I talk to you for a second? And then, you know, within five minutes, he realized, oh, okay, this is a golf thing. And, uh, and he said yes, which is pretty crazy. Wow, that's awesome. I love the initiative. Yeah, it's different for each, it's different for each, each person. But I, I like to think that going to Michael's play before was, uh, you know, above and beyond the, the caddy call of duty. Well, you know, you say that your, your goal of this show is to caddy around the world to learn the unwritten codes of life, people, and golf. So I wanted to ask you, I hate to spoil the show. I mean, you guys are going to have to watch it. And if you want to watch it, just Google Caddy Codes. pops right up. Yep, um, and that's C-A-D-D-I-E, the, the correct spelling of Caddy. I'm biased, but there you go. that's how I think it goes. Uh, but what are the unwritten codes of life, people, and golf? You know, it's, uh, that's a good, it's a good question. So like there's, there's things with caddying that you're just, you just have to do. One of them is you wear shorts and no matter what, the weather is you're wearing shorts if you're a pro caddy. So in St. Andrews, it'll just be hammering it down, be freezing cold. As you know, this could be like mid July um, uh-huh. and it could be like 35 and, and pouring out. And in the middle of the month soon, everyone's wearing shorts. It's that's just a thing. You're not, you're not wearing tons of rain, rain gear. If you're a, a caddy on, uh, on the, the lower half of your body, uh, you're wearing shorts, but it's also things like there's the real caddy, you know, there's the caddy, brotherhood and sisterhood of caddying and uh you know just talking with fanny for example she knows everybody else out on tour and it's very it's actually very supportive and in the shack in st andrews i always knew them as not only was it a team but it's the it's the bastion of knowledge for golf that that always just uh impressed me the most like you go into those those four walls in the st andrews caddy shack the level of golf knowledge is out of control right? right like these are guys that know if an 80 foot putt breaks an inch or an inch and a quarter like they literally can tell you blindfolded like where where the hardest pins are at 11 the par 3 11th which some people call the shortest par 5 in scotland uh these are th- these are people that know the course better than just about anybody in the world and i've always been fascinated by that i'm like this is sort of the unsung sort of like level of golf knowledge in the, in the world that I, you know, I, I always love, and I always want to share that with other people. That's been a thing that's been really important to me. So that's a big part of the show is sharing that inner golf knowledge and expertise from the caddy perspective as widely as possible. So that that's the aim of the show. And it's also, uh, hopefully it's pretty fun to watch as well. No, for sure. I can vouch for that. Um, they're incredibly fun and entertaining. Um, but you can also see, how golf is the natural connector. And I know it's cliche. We talk about it a lot, but um, I wanted to ask you if, 
you had to pick one element about golf that makes it such a natural connector for people. What do you think it is? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's two things. I think it's, it's the time that you're out there with someone for it's, uh, you know, you're out there for in Scotland, three and a half hours in America, five and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Um, you're in a beautiful green place with people that are probably the most relaxed they're going to be that day or that week. Um, and I see it with, uh, even with celebrities in the Dunhill, you know, we'll be out in a group with, uh, Michael Douglas, Huey Lewis, Andy Garcia. Um, and they tee off on the first hole of the old course. And then they tee off on the second, get, get away from all the fans and all the, uh, all the media and stuff. And then in the practice rounds of the Dunhill, they're out in the middle of a beautiful green place, just talking about life. And there's something about that. You don't get that in a gym or in a bowling alley. You get that outside, um, away from the traffic in your car and like every stress in life. And you know, it's like, we just, we just experienced this, uh, Last week when we went and uh, played Bethpage Black, which we can talk about later because we yeah. slept in our car every night to do it. <laughs> You're, we met people that we're, we're, I'm friends with now. <laughs> it's, a, it's something about being outside, being like, you know, being, being around people for more than just 10 minutes and getting engrossed in something that you both are completely obsessed with. That breaks down barriers pretty much better than anything I've ever experienced. Yeah, it's funny. We, um, we have a new show format that we do um, time to time called shipping away. And our first episode of it was called the golf addiction epidemic. And we basically unpacked why we think what makes golf addicting, what makes it the way that it is. We talked a lot about the, uh, the difficulty, right? You almost achieve this like secret club. Um, when you're able to actually play a game that's so difficult there's like oh yeah you've gone through the same thing i have but the thing you brought up is interesting that i hadn't thought about is the 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 level of knowledge and the how deep you can go and yet you could be playing the game for 30 years and still figuring out little things right yeah and you know the the other thing is for the caddies in st andrews again i caddied there for 11 years so i got to know these guys pretty well and, um, they're proud of it, you know, like they're proud of their expertise. It's, um, it's their art. Um, yeah. you know, you, you, you learn a place and it is your profession. It is your, it is your, um, you know, it is your work in life. And it is so cool to be out there and just have guys trading lines off tees. Oh, you know, that 11th green, it's not running the same since they moved the, the left side of it. It's all these little inner, inner golf minutia things and you see it there, but you know, it's, uh, it, it, that applies to, to pretty much any shack around the country. It's like, I, you know, I just, one of our episodes in caddy codes that just launched is, um, is the best page caddy shack. And so I was hanging out with all of these best page caddies who are all, you know, most of them are from within 10 minutes of, uh, of Farmingdale. A lot of them grew up playing the black and I'm in the, the shack with them hanging out and i'm like man this is this is exactly like the shack four thousand miles away i mean we have a there's a ping pong table in this shack and uh in best page <laughs> they're after after rounds they're going to croxley's which is five minutes away and it's got good wings um they're not going to the dunvegan they're going to croxley's but the uh the same level of knowledge is there i mean they you know they'll tell you the runouts off every tee box. They'll tell you the hardest pin on 17, that par three on the black. Like these guys know the black better than anyone I've met. 
And so I get that same level of excitement where I'm like, oh my God, you guys are, <laughs> you guys are the, you guys are the wizards here. It was really cool. So I didn't even ask you at the start, how did the show come about? How did this start for you? Um, yeah. So I got asked to do it, uh, back in early, was it, I guess it was mid last year. And, uh, and so I, um, you know, I got, I got a call up from someone on the team and went in and talked and we, we talked about caddying and what it's meant to me. And, and, uh, then the show developed kind of from that. Um, but I always knew that like, I really, you know, if, if there was an episode that was going to make me excited, I, I hoped that would be a, an interesting episode. You know, if there are things that get me, uh, you know, the golf geek in me super excited, I, I, I was like, that's, those are the ones we should push. And so there's a great team involved. Michelle Prelly is leading up the team. Uh, we've, we've actually shot with a bunch of the same camera people have come out. And so everyone's getting really, uh, everyone's getting on the same team and uh, hopefully starting to gel pretty well. So we've got, a, we've got a few more episodes coming up that we haven't shot yet. But we did go to New Zealand and we shot two episodes in New Zealand uh, about, about a month and a half ago. And so once we got over the jet lag, uh, it was pretty, that was pretty wild. So those are coming up in, uh, in the next couple of weeks. Love it. So, uh, I think this was the first episode you drove, uh, the driving range. I don't even know. Is there a proper name? for the driving range <laughs> I, call it, I call it the driving range picker upper cart. Okay. I called it the driving range ball picker upper. So we're pretty close. Uh, yeah. I think it's the scientific term. <laughs> what was it like being a living version of target practice? Yeah, that was at Chelsea Piers because, you know, in New York City, we shot the thing in December. We're going to go play. Uh, we went to Chelsea Piers with Jimmy Roberts. And let's be honest, Evan, you've been to a million driving ranges. Haven't you always wanted to sort of drive that cart for a minute out in the range? 100%. Yeah. And also, you know, how many times have you aimed at that ball cart? Because that's every pretty time. much everything I'm doing on the range. Every time. Yeah. So, so I was like, let's, let's maybe do let's do part of the interview in the ball cart. And, uh, and so I was like, they're not going to let you, that's just not going to happen. And then I asked them and they were like, yeah, yeah, sure. They're like, yeah, just be careful, but sure. And then they were like, Jimmy's not going to want to do that. And I was like, let's just ask him. We asked Jimmy and he was like, I love this. Yeah. hundred percent. So we're in the ball cart and, uh, I, I can tell you when a ball hits the ball cart, it's about 20, think it's going to be it's like actually terrifying we're driving around and the ball's hitting us and i'm like i'm like are we are we okay is this gonna like is this gonna, is this thing gonna hold because there's there's parts of it that are not completely uh completely contained there's like a net thing i, I don't know we we survived <laughs> see that's what kind of surprised me because i thought it'd be like yeah you know a couple balls are coming at you but you can kind of just chill in there and and, and talk but no it was like you could definitely tell that you were. Uh, I'm telling you, were, you New York City concerned. golfers are very accurate. Very accurate. Wow. They see. They see. There's some kind of camera thing going. They're just aiming for the cart. So you know, maybe it's comeuppance for all the all the times I've aimed at the cart. Yeah, maybe that's a learning where when you're out on the course and you can't seem to translate from the range to the course, just envision a a golf ball driving range ball picker upper and just envision the hundred hundred percent. Love that. Well, you know, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you another thing. It's like, it's like when I, when I, uh, caddy for someone else, you really, we've talked about how golfers get, um, get close really quickly on a golf course, but there is nothing like caddying for somebody, uh, St. Andrews for sure, but pretty much anywhere within a hole or two on the old course. I feel like 
I'm like great friends with my golfer. It yeah. just happens so quickly. And in St. Andrews, it's really because, you know, you're, you're dealing with someone who might be in Scotland for the first time, might be out of America for the first time. Their shower in their hotel doesn't have hot water, maybe. Yeah. Everyone's speaking in a funny accent. The food is a little different. And suddenly you got someone who's steering around this golf course where you don't know where the hell you're, you're hitting. The pot bunkers are higher than, you know, your, your ceiling in your house. And uh, you got someone who's, who's completely on your side and, and there to help you. And that really forges friendships really quickly. So between the cat, you know, the caddy and the golfer, I've always found within, within a hole or two, we're buds. We're like really close. Lifelong friendships are formed between caddies and their golfers. I'm still friends with so many people that I've caddied for at St. Andrews, like really, like I've stayed at their houses, like really close friends. And so it's fun in the show to get to caddy for whoever I'm interviewing. And so this was, this was something that my buddy Tom Greaves, who works in, uh, on the European tour productions team, uh, used to do a lot as well, where he'd caddy for like a John Daly or whatever and interview them. And I think it's a really cool way of, you know, for Fanny or for another caddy, reversing the tables, be like, hey, Fanny, you're playing, and I'm going to caddy for you. And so she was like, oh, this is great. I love having a caddy. This is awesome. But it's also a really, it's a nice, um, I think it's a nice little device to, to, to get them on the golf course, thinking about golf, relaxed. Um, so, so far it's been an effective way to, to you know, to, to really get to close to someone as you're trying to interview them. Well, it's funny you say that because I thought the same exact thing immediately when I saw the first episode. It, it kind of reminded me of uh, comedians in cars getting coffee where Jerry, <laughs> Jerry loves cars, Jerry loves coffee, and Jerry loves comedians, right? And he found that when you put someone in a car, that, that conversation while in motion kind of naturally happens, especially, yeah. you know, same thing over a cup of coffee. And then when you put two comedians together, obviously magic happens. But I was thinking, okay. No one argues against having a caddy. Usually guys our age aren't getting a caddy because A, it's too expensive. B, they're at a muni right. that doesn't even have caddies. And C, you know, it's, it's just not something that's available that often. But if you ask someone, hey, can, can I carry your clubs and, and caddy for you and you can just walk free down the fairway? Of course. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's a dream. You know, I think also for... Uh, for Fanny, it, it's fun because, you know, she, she's so always on the other side of the bag. It's like a really nice change for her. Um, and she was a great golfer, by the way, she was, um, all set to get a golf scholarship to go play in the state. She had a U.S. college lined up and she got injured right before she was, uh, before she was going to head over. So she took a year off where she couldn't really swing. Um, I think her back was all messed up, but she, or I think it was her knees yeah, on that knee, on the yeah. follow through. She, yeah, so she so she asked did a, did a season of caddying um, on the European tour, and she's got this great story that didn't actually get into the show, but she's caddying in one of her first events, and it's a it's a European tour event, and all the caddies are lined up for the golfers getting off the bus, and they're gonna get matched up with a golfer. So the first guy comes up to Fanny and goes, "Oh no, I don't need a caddy. I'm good." And then she realizes that he goes to the next caddy behind her who's a guy and takes him she's like oh that's weird next guy comes off the, the bus oh no i'm good don't need a caddy i'm fine takes the next caddy behind her who's in, who's another male caddy. she's like what at the end of the whole thing there's only three caddies left and you know who they are it's fanny 
and Annika Sorenstam <laughs> and Annika's uh, sister, Charlotta. So there's three caddies left, and it's three, you know, now very famous people in the world of right. golf. Isn't that crazy? That's unbelievable. Just shows that she was really a trailblazer. There was not a lot of, there were no female caddies doing it then. There's not that many now. Um, and, you know, of course, she, she never thinks of herself as a female caddy. You know, she's, I'm right. a caddy. Right. That's what it is, you know. Well, I, I it was it's... weird, I think, when she had to change in the uh, in the Augusta National um, Caddy Shack. There was no women's locker room. So she had to change right in front of all the, the guys, that first uh, Masters in 90. That must have been a little weird for her. For sure. I would actually love, you know, maybe float this up the ladder at NBC, but I would love a longer form story about Fanny where just I think there's such interesting parallels and there's so many more stories now being told about women in today's uh culture and and in entertainment that like think about the caddyshack and the stories you know about the caddyshack think about the pj tour and being the only woman out there yeah for a long time i mean i i can't even imagine um the types of things she would experience and the stories she would have Oh yeah, well, you know, she. I don't know if you saw this uh, this past Masters, but she was caddying again for Henrik Stenson. I was so excited about that. Yeah, they're really they're really good buddies. They run a tournament together in Sweden, uh, the the Stenson Sunnison Junior Challenge, I believe it's called in Sweden. Um, so they're really good friends. They she obviously caddied for him for like six or eight years. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, she was caddying for him, and she was rocking the belt, which was a very fanny touch from 1990 because you know there there's one size for those uh those white overalls they don't have a women's uh they don't have a women's set of <laughs> of overalls there so she she did the only thing she could do in the moment back then she cinched it with a belt and uh kind of rocking the fashion sense down at augusta fanny so she was rocking the belt again this time i was like yeah <laughs> all right well let's talk let's talk mongolia yeah. Okay. You you wrote a great piece for golf dot com um, from Mongolia to the Masters. Yes, it's possible. Step one: you got to win the Mongolian National Open. You played in it. Apparently, anyone can. So I want to first hear. Well, first of all, I know you didn't start off or play in the tournament quite as well as you would have liked. We can talk about that. But you know, you started off in L.A. to Mongolia. You didn't stop off and say hi to the par train crew. That probably could have helped you. Getting on that par train. Apologies. You know? Yeah, well, how's, how's this for pre-Mongolia uh, uh, trip lead-off? We, we, we shot an episode of Caddy Codes down in San Diego. Then we finished at like 6 p.m. We finished shooting just when it was whatever, getting darker, getting close to it. We drive back up to L.A. The producer drives me, Harris, directly to LAX, and I fly to Mongolia that night. <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> so that was an insane, <laughs> insanely long day. But the trip itself is not that bad. I, I've been telling a lot of people, like, this is a doable thing. Like, anyone listening can play in the Mongolian National Open August 2nd to 5th of this year. Like, it is open to anybody. Hmm. And uh, you fly, first of all, you fly to, usually to Beijing, and then you'll switch over and fly to Ulaanbaatar. So, you know, it's a little bit of a flight to Beijing, not going to lie. It's like whatever it is, 12 hours, 13 hours. You watch a couple movies, you have a meal, you go to sleep. And then the flight from Beijing to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia is two hours. So it's not, it's not terrible. It is a long day of traveling. But 
Um, I had heard about the Mongolian National Open for years, and I'm like, oh, man, this would be fun to plan. And uh, and I was pretty surprised. Like, it is not hard to, to hook this up. Um, it is very doable. And if you win the Mongolian National Open, uh, you can then go and play in the Asia-Pacific Games. And if you win that, you get in the Masters. Now, you have to be Mongolian for that. So if you want to... If you want, you know, if you want to go play in the Mongolian National, but it's not for the Masters, it's for it's for winning a national title. That's your goal, right? So, it's funny. Only eighteen competitors are single digit handicaps. Yeah, it's a new sport in <laughs> Mongolia. Golf is a new sport. The first golf course was built in Mongolia in two thousand three. Wow! And this golf course had caddies on horseback. I'm not kidding you. Wow. Which is which is very fitting for Mongolia because horse riding to Mongolians is like golf is to St. Andrians. Like every single Mongolian kid who grew up in the countryside is riding a horse. And mo- almost everyone over the age of 25 or 30 in Mongolia like is very proficient at horse riding. Uh, there's an interesting thing now that now that everyone is moving to Ulaanbaatar to the city, um, horse riding is suddenly getting a little less prevalent. But you know the fact that caddies used to caddy on horseback is pretty cool. So if you hit a shot in the rough, uh, Evan, I know you never miss a fairway. Never. But if you did, uh, you know, on a blue moon, the caddy would run, would gallop over and put a red flag down, mark the ball. That, that was, uh, yeah, we talked about that as if that was like 1920s. Yeah, that was 2003. That was happening. I would go, <laughs> a, I would play in that. Sport. I would play in that just for that. No joke. You could do a, you could do a live, uh, a live taping or what I guess it's an oxymoron, but you could do, you could do a live show from the first tee of the Mongolian national open in August, Evan. I mean, I'm going to go we ahead and set uh, that up. I'm going to go ahead and ping Stratton and Cermak, uh, offline yeah. and make sure <laughs> so wait just a quick clarification i can hook you up with some good caddies but okay. you know you're right it's it's a very new sport so a lot of the people you know even guys who have amazing swings that i was playing with who look like they're like a six or seven or a handicap um i'm like how long have you been playing they're like oh two years they're like what <laughs> it, it just got really really big a few years ago and so what's hilarious about it is they had us off the tips on a very hard golf course. It's at Mount Bogd Resort, 15 minutes from the center of Ulaanbaatar. And uh, we're off the tip, so it's over 74,000 yards. And the rough is insane. It's insane. I got stung by nettles on the first hole when I went in the rough. Of course, I was the only competitor wearing shorts. I realized that was why you don't wear shorts, I guess. What are nettles? Um, Oh, nettles. You know, like the the stinging nettles? It's like gorse bushes in St. Andrews, but they sting. Cacti that just sting you. In fact, there's only one plant that can uh, stop the nettle sting, and it's dock leaves, and they they tend to grow next to the nettles. It's a very UK thing. Mm. England's got nettles everywhere, but Mm, apparently Mongolia does too. And uh, and so besides the fact that everyone's only been playing for two or three years, everybody's literally in their national open. It would be like you or I in the U.S. open. We'd be a little nervous, right? right? So everyone's nervous. Everyone's a new golfer. And because, you know, it's Mongolia, it's like the outdoor macho culture, we are off the championship tees in a very strong wind. And uh, I'm not going to lie to you, I was very nervous. Because on the flight over, I was like, oh, man, I could, geez, I've been playing longer than everyone here. I I could win this thing. Like, I could be the Mongolian National Open champ. So I was going over to write the piece about it, but I was like, 
in my head, I got myself very, you know, very convinced that I was just going to roll in and put on the green jacket. Uh, that did not happen. Well, it's so funny. It's almost like a life hack, like the, the ability to go win a national open somewhere and only 18 competitors are single digit handicaps. I'm thinking the same thing. I'm, I went exactly where you went. I'm like, okay, I'm a six, you know, my swings coming. Yeah. You know, I've got a little momentum right now. I'm coming back up. Uh, I, maybe I could be the Mongolian national open champ. And you, and you know what? I feel like you would do better than, than I, that I did <laughs> because on the first hole, I hit my drive right down the middle. Again, there was a lot of fanfare. Everyone's, you know, it's like, Oh, there's an American journalist playing this. Cool. So I hit, I, I, he really hit a good drive down the middle, hit a little hybrid, but two two thirty down the middle. I'm feeling great. Uh, and I made a nine <laughs> first all. Um, and that, that's where the nettles came in. And, uh, and I'm, I'm just going to cut to the chase after two rounds. You know, I used to be a two handicap after two rounds. I, I was averaging a hundred literally. And then it was moving day. Uh, so I shot a hundred, um, and, uh, finished, I think 86 shots on the winner of the Mongolian national open. It was, it was, uh, it was really just a, a fiery crash. It was terrible. So just to clarify, what was the, the winning score? Uh, Ooh, well, I, the winning score was, I think someone came relatively close to par, I think okay. to, to win. Okay. Um, so there were, there was some very good golf being staged. Um, I finished so much earlier on Sunday because the, the only thing that really helped me out was, uh, I, I found out, uh, driving to the, uh, the first round that there was no cut this year for the Mongolian national open. Oh. So I did this like fist pump in the car. I turned to my friend, Margaret, who was my host. And I was like, Margaret, I made the cut in the Mongolian national open. <laughs> this is, this is a big deal. Um, and I'll, t- I'll tell you the thing that uh, my biggest mistake was uh, was trying the national delicacy uh, that's brewed in the summertime, and it's called edag. And this is what all Mongolians love to drink during the summer. Uh, edag is fermented horse milk. Oh, it's actually God. alcoholic, and uh, it is not very tasty. You might not be shocked to hear that. But I sort of got coerced into trying some edag, and I was like, oh, how bad could it be? This is fine. So I drink almost a full bowl of it because the, this lovely family is looking up at me with like, you know, what do you think? How, how is it? Yeah. And I drank the whole thing. And within like an hour, my stomach is like not, not happy with me. And okay. so I was in the Gobi desert a few days later after the tournament. And, uh, I was, I was in trouble. <laughs> it was, it was a bad mistake. I mean, those, those bushes, the plants, fermented milk. I mean, this sounds... This oh, intense. and there's a golf course called Genghis Khan Country Club. How good is that? I mean, that that's fantastic. We, need, only... we might need to, we might have to get them to do golf shirts because they do not sell shirts with that logo on it. I think that's a travesty. <laughs> Let me ask you this: Was it tough to? I mean, you were a two handicap. I personally, when I saw your scores, I was like, God, I have to write it. If I was you, I'd have to write an article about this and admit that I shot hundred <laughs> each day. Was that tough for you? Oh yeah, I mean, I felt the, you're you're not going to be surprised with this, but I I felt the worst for my caddy because I had this lovely caddy named Kishki who was just so into it. You know, she she was right. All the all the caddies are female, and a lot of them play. Actually, Bill Gay, who is um, the best golfer who caddies there, she came second in the women's division last year, so she's super good. Um, 
I just felt horrible for Kishki because she's running all over into the rough and, you know, making everyone look for my balls. And this just, it's, it's, it's pathetic how bad, how bad this is going. And I made a par. I think it took me like 12 holes or 13 holes to make a par. And she just looked at me like I had just, you know, cured cancer. She was so proud of me. I was like, Kishki, I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, I'm so sorry this is happening. And, and I think I lost three balls off the tee once and everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And, and, and then I was like, Oh crap. And I got to write about this. But that be, I guess that became part of the story was I came 43rd in the Mongolian national open, but 86 shots out of, out of first place. It's a lot. That's really, my mom was not proud of me. <laughs> well, Hey, you know, this is a story that everyone could experience if they want. All they got to do is email the general secretary of the Mongolian golf association. Help me out with this name. Margot B. Do you well, know this oh, let me. Yeah, let me wait. I have it. I have it. Uh, Margad. Oh, it's a tough one. Biam Jeff. Yeah, there you go. We butchered it. We butchered it. But he, Margaret's super nice. He's the general secretary of the MGA. I mean, speaking of what of what we we touched on earlier about golf connecting people, one of the best things about it is being over there, eight thousand miles away, and you're surrounded by seventy two people that are just obsessed with golf. I mean, they, they're 12 hours ahead of the East coast. So what they do Evan, for watching majors, like this happened for the, for the final round of Augusta, they rent out a conference room and they will get together at, uh, you know, it'll start at, let's say 9 PM when the coverage starts, which is 9 AM Sunday, mm -hmm. they get there at 9 PM and, ha and stay all night. And it's like a slumber party <laughs> and they watched it until 7 a.m., which is a 7 p.m. Then they go to work on 7 a.m. on Monday straight from the conference center. Oh, so it's a, it's a different way of life over there, but they, they, they love golf. And I'll tell you, the Mongolian people are the most generous, lovely people I've met. I've met some great, you know, the, the Nepalis that I spent time with in Kathmandu are the nicest, but Mongolians are right there too. And there's 200 players in Mongolia that are obsessed with golf. And they have the tailor-made hats and the Titleist clubs. And, you know, it's negative 45 degrees in the wintertime in Ulaanbaatar. Negative 45 mm. uh, Fahrenheit. Also Celsius. Fun fact, negative 45 degrees is the same Celsius as Fahrenheit uh, when you get to negative 45. Oh. <laughs> but so in the wintertime, they're playing screen golf, right. which is the golf simulators that we know. Um, but they pretty much every Mongolian golfer started playing golf in the screen golf. And so there's five screen golf centers all over Ulaanbaatar. And it's, you know, it's very, they're Korean golf simulators. So it's almost anime. Um, and it's hilarious anime sound effects, but everyone very seriously learned golf, uh, in, in these screen golf facilities. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So, okay. So if you want to play info at MGA.MN, M yes. as in Mary, N as in, Noodle? I don't have a good word for, yeah. for N. Uh, info at mga.mn. So, hey, maybe in August I'll be playing in the Mongolian National Open. We'll see. Live okay. reports. Part train speeds into Mongolian National Open. That'd be pretty good. Maybe, hey, maybe I'll like, come and caddy for you. It sounds like if I, if I ride the par train and stay on brand, I could win the thing. And then when you're done, you could ride the, the Trans-Mongolian Railway 
from Ulaanbaatar back into Beijing, and oh. you could really keep the train going. Oh, I like Cause that. Because that's what I did, okay. and that's a long train ride. <laughs> I like that. Okay, let's go and talk, because we still got to, I want to talk to you about Beth Page, um, but I also want to talk about Pratima, because last time you were on the show, we talked about pra- Pratima Sherpa, who is the number one female golfer in Nepal, and she just made her U.S. professional debut on the Symmetra Tour, which for those of you that don't know is basically like the web.com for the LPGA. So before I have you talk about this, I just wanted to talk about, I wanted to mention this quote um, that I read in this article, which I think is incredible and speaks to who she is and what we can learn from her. So imagine living in a shed. Let me set the scene. You grow up in a shed off of a golf course. Not many people play golf in, um, in Nepal, let alone women. And yeah. she learned how to play from a stick and incredible story. Go back and listen to our old episode with Ollie to, to hear even more. And there's, he wrote a great piece. Was it golf digest? Yeah. yeah. Um, Google his golf digest article about Pratima Sherpa. It's fantastic. But, um, so that gives you a little background about the type of, um, story and, and background of her life. But imagine now being invited to play in a pro tournament in the United States. And she said, quote, I believe playing in a Symmetra Tour tournament will help me become more confident for upcoming days, and I am hoping to learn many new things. I just want to put that in perspective for a second. This person has no imposter syndrome whatsoever. She's not. Right. I'm sure she was getting, I'm sure she was nervous, but the fact that she says playing in this will help her become more confident and learn is like yeah. mind blowing to me. It shows her mind, the strength of her mindset. Because everybody else isn't that great, know, and that would, and would that's, be... that's 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 ruined through. Because you know she she grew up and her family still lives in, and she will live in the summer when she goes home. Uh, lives in a shed on the fourth hole of Royal Nepal Golf Club, and you, you know what she calls that shed? She calls it her lucky shed. Yeah. Because by by growing up in that shed on the fourth hole of Royal Nepal. That's that was her entry into golf. You know, she didn't grow up on, she didn't grow up playing uh, Monterey Peninsula. You know, she grew up in a shed that is about 200 square feet. So that attitude and that way of approaching her first event, which would frankly put me into like a catatonically nervous state. Right. You saw how well I did in the Mongolian National Open. She's playing a pro tournament, and that is Pratima a hundred percent. She is just an inspiration. I mean, it's and she did. Didn't she start off pretty well? So yeah, so so she got invited to play this event uh, a few months few months ago, and um, and so I was like, uh, this is an amazing opportunity, but God, this is going to be a big deal. Like I hope I hope Pratim is ready because um, since we last spoke, the the really cool update is she's been invited. Um, she got her visa, uh, her student visa, and she's now studying in California at Santa Barbara city college and playing on the golf team. So that in itself is a huge, amazing deal. Like she could, you know, hopefully in like a year or two, she could transfer into a four year, uh, you know, UC college, UCLA or USC. We'll see. But, um, but I was like, is this, is this the right timing? And, um, so, so she signed up to play it. She goes to the LPGA tour event the week before where they announce it. She meets Nancy Lopez. Now she's playing with Nancy in the uh, the skills challenge on like the Wednesday, 
And Nancy uh, sees the documentary, which is on ESPN. It's called The Mountain to Climb. It's, it's seriously a, a great, great sort of way of, uh, of getting to know Pratima. She sees the documentary. She calls Pratima the next day and goes, I'm your mentor now. It's done. I'm your mentor. Like anything you need, call me. I'm your mentor. And so she gives Pratima like an awesome prep talk for about an hour leading into the Symmetra tour event the week after. So right off the bat, that's great, right? Like that's a, this is a good start into the event. I'm following her on the Symmetra tour website. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I've ever visited the Symmetra tour website so much as this, uh, as these two days, I am just clicking refresh on Pratima's scorecard, like refresh, refresh, refresh. And then I see a birdie come up on like the second hole or the third hole. And I'm thinking, and Ollie this, goes is nuts. The first ever, <laughs> this is the first ever Nepali birdie in Symmetra tour history. <laughs> right. How, how cool is that? Yeah. That, she I mean, made four birdies in her first round and she made an eagle in her second round. I was I was just blown away. I think they were too. You know, this is talk talking about rising to the occasion. Well, and the and the coolest part was, uh, Pratima texted me like the night before the tournament started, and she's so she's like so excited, and she's like, Oliver, they have they have flags outside the clubhouse for all the countries that are taking part, and she's like. There's the Nepali flag. They're flying the Nepali flag for the first time ever. And, you know, that they're doing it because they need to, because they have a Nepali golfer playing it for the first time ever. And that was an amazing moment. She was crying. She took photos of it. She put them up on her Instagram and on Facebook. And she was so proud. And that's another thing. She's only 19. You know, when I met her, she was 16. Right. We talk about someone who is mature above the, you know, beyond their years. She knows what, that what she's doing right now, this girl who grew up in a shed on the fourth hole of world Nepal golf club, who was hitting a ball with a stick, uh, right. to start her golf career when she was like nine or 10 or or even younger and is now playing in a pro tournament. Like that's a big deal, not just for her, not just for golfers in Nepal. That's a big deal for everybody in Nepal. And I'll tell you, Evan, you know, I, like I, there's a lot of guys that live in New York and I, whenever I, uh, see someone who's Nepali at a restaurant or whatever, and we start talking, they've all heard of Pratima. Like they are everybody, the whole country is behind Pratima. Right. Uh, it is, it's a thing. It's really a thing. And, and the story is continuing. So, you know, we have to stay tuned and see where it goes. Well, I'd have to say, I mean, if you guys haven't seen a mountain to climb, I believe you, you guys won an Emmy for that. You helped produce it, right? Yeah, I was one of the producers. It won a sports Emmy, so Pratima flew in for the uh, yeah. for the red carpet thing. That was really cool. If you haven't seen it, Google a mountain to climb ESPN, and it's I, she personally is one of the most inspiring stories that that I've seen. So hey, if, next time you come to the West Coast, I'll drive up to Santa Barbara. We we all got to play. That would be a dream come true to be able to see her. Oh, of course. I mean, you guys have been so supportive of, of her and, and you guys have been seriously on Team Pratima. So, oh, 100%. 100%. Plus, it's Santa Barbara. It's not the worst place to go visit. Hey, I would love an excuse to go up to Santa Barbara. <laughs> um, okay, so we let's talk Beth Page for a few. I sure. know you've got some stories about Beth Page. You've played it many times. And then uh, I got a couple general writing questions for you to kind of close it out. Maybe see if you can inspire some... Um, aspiring writers um of course so i'll be there monday to wednesday this year at beth page i've never been um so we can definitely link up there i can't wait to see it in person 
Um, totally. But tell me about your latest experience at Bethpage. Yeah, so I, I really, uh, I, I was really obsessed with playing the, the black before, uh, before this tournament. Because you guys know it, it's shut for the winter. Closes on usually November 15th. Then it reopens uh, in April. This year, uh, as a lot of you probably know, it reopened for two weeks to the public, but only for two weeks and only from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. each day. So you have essentially, I think it's every 10 minutes they go out. So you get like 60 times an hour. So basically 24 balls are going out. And oh, by the way, there's no reservations. So you have to do walk up to get on here. What this means is that you have to sleep in your car overnight if you're going to get to play in these two weeks. So I'm like, you know what? We've all heard of the sleeping in your car thing. It's it frankly become a little bit less of a, um, you know, of a thing the last couple of years because the reservation system has gotten so good right. calling in for best page. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm from New York city. I'm a New York resident. So it's easy for us. We get a week in advance, but not this time. So I'm like, let's sleep in the car and let's, let's try to, let's try to go out on opening day. I mean, come on. So I convinced my buddy, Paul Moore, who lives in New York, who actually met in St. Andrews when I was caddying in the same group that he was playing. And Paul's a golf geek as well. Like me, we go do it. We sleep in the car. Paul gets there at 6 PM. He comes straight from work in Connecticut and gets the number one spot before opening day. I take the, I had like a, um, an improv class I was taking or whatever. I had to take the train out after the class. We, I get there at midnight off the LIRR. We're number one, but the problem, Evan, is it's raining. I'm like, oh, no, please don't rain. It's just raining, raining, raining. Five in the morning comes. We get our bracelets. We go into the clubhouse. They close the course for the rain. And I'm like, we oh just slept in a car God. for nothing. So I'm like, uh uh, sir, is there any way, um, you know, is does the, the, the list stay the same for tomorrow? And there's like a horrible silence. And he's like, no, <laughs> so we, we drive back in the city, just like tears running down our faces. Essentially. We're just so, you know, disheveled and tired and we smell bad and it's just ridiculous. So I needed to get revenge on that. I had to, I had to get on. So I convinced another buddy, Todd Sutler to come with me a couple days ago. We get there at midnight and we have the number 11 car this time. Hmm. So again, if you're within the top 20 cars, you figure every car is a four ball. I just knew if we're within 20, we're going to get on the next day. So we're number 11. I'm feeling good about this. It's not raining. Evan, the scene at the Bethpage parking lot was so awesome. <laughs> it was a party. The number one and number two cars are SUVs full of friends that have driven up from different cities in the in the east coast they've got a tv in the back flat screen it's playing uh highlights of 2002 tiger highlights um it is a tailgate yeah. golf style they've yeah they've got you know it's it's guys taking practice swings in the parking lot with like a couple of guys at pxg club so everyone else is like checking those out there's a guy in a full monster energy drink golf attire oh you know, of the, course the, clearly he's a tiger fan of course <laughs> Never seen. I've never seen a Monster Energy drink golf socks before, but <laughs> but he had them. A uh, couple people were sleeping in tents, literally tents. I was like, that's a great move. Uh, and and everyone's watching golf, eating pizza. Everyone is so excited. Um, there was a guy next to us on on spot number twelve, who left his pregnant wife at home 
got in a rent-a-car to truck out to the course to sleep in a parking lot with strangers. So, you know, the golf lunacy was very high that night, um, and we were, we were part of it. That's incredible. You should have seen how big I was smiling as you were going through that, just thinking about that scene in the parking lot. It sounds like a place I'd want to be for sure. Um, yeah, it, well, I'll tell you what. The important thing is to be in a long car. Like, we were in a station wagon. Then you can put the seats down. Mm. You get in the back. It's sort of like camping. Uh, if you have a Todd brought a yoga mat, which he did not share with me. So that was off the bat. I was a little upset. Right. Um, Todd also said within like two minutes of us arriving in the parking lot, he was like, just so you know, I'm a snorer. I snore a lot. I was like, now you tell me. <laughs> okay. This is, yeah. Ne- interesting. Keeping that to yourself until we pull in. So, uh, and then I was freezing cold the whole night. Cause I had a little sheet over me. Todd had like full blanket. I have a little sheet. And I'm like, why am I so cold? This wasn't cold last time. Why am I free? It's only 45 out. Turns out Todd had opened the window uh, after I went to sleep just to let some air in, as he called it. So I'm just shivering the whole freaking night. Yeah. We're going to need to talk. I'm just starting to forgive him now. It was like I slept on the top of uh, Everest or something. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) So what do people need to know about Beth Page leading up to the PGA? Yeah. So... First of all, I, I didn't know what to expect because, you know, as you know, this is the, the earliest we've had a tournament at Beth Page right. uh, ever. And, and everyone was a little nervous. We, you know, over the winter, all the New Yorkers we were like, what kind of winter is this going to be? Is this going to be one of the bad ones where we get a real, you know, some ice and some snow? It was a mild winter, as a lot of people know. Mm-hmm. And the course is in really fantastic shape. Like mm-hmm. the greens are pure. Like I'm... I'm excited now. It was in tip top shape. Uh, and that was, you know, I played it last Thursday. So a week ago, um, if it has another nice week and a half of like good warm weather, it's going to really pop. Um, but here's my takeaway. And again, this could change, but this is my takeaway from playing it last week. I don't think it's going to be anything like a U.S. open condition. Like I re the rough was not that thick. Now, granted, it'll get a little thicker, but it, I think it's going to be closer to how it's played at the Barclays, like mm. in 2016. I don't think, like Barclays, I think the winner was nine under. U.S. Opens, it's been like two, three under. I think it's going to be closer to like four or five. I may be completely wrong. It did not seem like a crazy U.S. Open setup. Okay. That benefits Tiger. It's just got to, right? Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, I mean, does it suit? Tiger? Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, he's won there, obviously, in, in right. two. And right. uh, it's got, it suits him. The fact that the rough isn't crazy definitely suits him. Yeah. Um, the thing, the thing at Beth Page, for those who haven't played it, you got to go play it at some point. You just have to. Yeah. If you're a New Yorker, it's 65 bucks to play it. This is a major championship course. Yeah, it's like there is something about it. When you are, people hate on the first hole for some reason. First hole is awesome. It is an elevated, crazy tee shot with everyone looking around you. You get your, you have this stupid wristband on you that gets cut off, plastic wristband. It's very like old school. Um, there is so much genius to this golf course. Tillinghouse, the architect, he just killed it. The bunkering on this golf course is is just, it's a work of art, Evan. And the par threes are so stately. Like every par three, you are just so excited to play. You're like a little kid in a candy shop playing every par three. It's a must play course. Now, is it really hard? Sure. Are you going to shoot a 97? Yes. But you're going to be playing with the friendliest New Yorkers who are like just super psyched to play the course. Um, 
the hardest part about the course, I think, are the approach shots. You have a lot of elevated approach shots for your second. Mm. Like the fifth hole is a great example, fourth hole and fifth hole. You can't see the green on so many of these approach shots. You're hitting to essentially a hidden putting service surface. It makes it insanely intimidating. And then the rough doesn't look that thick, but it really is. You know, and I'm used to I'm used to rough in Scotland that's really thick. So I, right. you know, I, I have a sense of what's difficult. This rough looks easy. You get in it, it'll just yank the, the, the club. It'll shut the club face down, yank it left if you're a right-hander. Right. Uh, it's super difficult. Yeah, I mean, we just got to talk for a second, and then I got a couple more questions. We'll get you out of here. Um, Tiger could be a back-to-back major winner in 2019 and get number 16. <sighs> Can we just talk about that for <sighs> a second? Also, I just want to hear your where was I story and what emotions came up for you while watching him get number 15 because I don't know if you've seen my video on the par train and my personal Instagram, but we filmed our reaction. I, Oh my God, I I have to see that. I was like, Oh, I'm going to watch it right after this. (laughs) I was high for like at least two weeks and I I still get giddy just thinking about it. It was like, it might've been one of the best, if not the best sports moment of my life. I, I, I had like a week long afterglow. Well, I was just nicer to people and things were like working out for me. I was yeah. like, Oh, Ooh, I feel great. Like every, everything is awesome right now. Right. And, and it's, it's because we've grown up watching tiger and we've had that long drought. I mean, and to see it, to see it end right there, like it. And by the way, when you did that, uh, that interview with Dottie, you kind of called it, you, you semi called it leading into that. I mean, you're talking about a tiger win the week before. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes we give you a couple nuggets every now and then. I was, I was crying quite honestly. Yeah. At the end, I was just crying. It's, there's something, there's something insane about it. Evan. I, I want to know if you feel the same way, but when I'm watching tiger in like the mat, this part makes no sense, but if he makes a putt to get from two under to three under, like, I feel like I've just gotten to three under. Right. <laughs> No, I feel like he's bringing us with him, you yeah. know? It's like you live vicariously through this guy. Um, and I just don't, I'm sorry, I just don't feel the same way about a Molinari. I'm just not as right. invested. Yeah. There's something about when Tiger's in it for me, I'm just so, I'm so locked in. But it's, it's more than that. I just, I want him to do well. I, I don't know what that's about, but I think it's, I think it's, for us, it's like looking back when we were younger and when Tiger was absolutely at his dominance and, you know, you feel connected to like a, a younger part of your life in a weird way. Like I remember watching him when I was 12 in 97 and like, it, it just, it's, 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 it's for me, it's like, it couldn't have been any better. And I am so freaking psyched for him to get to Beth page and get started uh, in two weeks. Like this is, I, I'm locked in if you will. Oh, 100%. And it's funny, I tweeted yesterday. I was I was literally at at my day job thinking about Tiger Woods, and I tweeted something like, uh, you know when you go home and visit your parents? Um, and I don't know if your mom does this, but my mom, I'll be there for like three hours, and then she'll start going mm-hmm. on about how it's almost over, and she can't believe how I'm leaving in three days. And we like, we joke, we're like, Mom, can we just enjoy the time? Sure. Yeah. I'm I'm starting to feel that way about Tiger. I had an epiphany yesterday. I'm like, I can't believe that in almost in two weeks, 
actually two weeks from today, I think. Um, yep. Tiger Woods will be teeing it up to win back-to-back majors in 2019 for number 16. This is like literally the best, and he's he's not getting any younger. Like I I had a moment where I was like, can you not be over yet? When he could potentially have right. like seven to ten more years playing. No, I mean, and think and I think about the rest of the lineup this year. I mean, he's got Pebble after this. He's got he's got Ireland after that for the for the Open Championship. I mean. This is a good. This is getting into being a really good year for him. I mean, he's now the next two courses are ones he's he's won on already. I um, but I, I that was my main pickup from playing that page. It's obviously the black super hard as it always is, but it's not U.S. Open tough. It's PGA Championship tough. That is a difference when the PGA gets here and sets it up. Right. Um, the greens were already super fast, so I think that's not going to be an issue. They'll get them to they'll get them to lightning, um, but. A lot of the a lot of the course I think plays into his hands a little bit. We'll just we'll see how wet it is, you know. We'll see if there's rain or not. You know, we had a we had a very wet last week. Uh we'll see where the course gets to in uh in two weeks, but we have the makings of a very, very exciting event. And uh I know that all my buddies uh who are best page caddies are they are just very excited for this whole for the circus to arrive in uh, in Farmingdale. One hundred percent. Okay, so two more questions for you. We normally try and hit around 40, 45 minutes, but you know, with my guy Ali and these stories, you just got to let the conversation flow. Okay, so we're going to give sure. the listeners some bonus time here. Um, Love first, it. First writing question. Um, what was the process like for you to get commissioned travel writing jobs? I'm pretty sure if you ask people like, what's a dream job? A lot of people say yeah. like travel photographer or you know, travel writer or blogger influencer those types of things how do you get your first job and what did you do to get your next one talk about that process yeah well the first the first article i ever wrote was actually about caddying in st andrews when i was 18 um i wrote a, uh, an si piece about it yep. um in terms of in terms of travel writing the the advantage you have as a freelance because it doesn't it does not pay very well i'll put it that way but the advantage i have is that if I hear of a cool place or a cool story or something, I'm, I, I'll just go do it. Like, I'll just go and make it work. And I have a, a bunch of buddies. Vladimir Weinstein is one. Michael Altabello is another who are photographers who will come with me because they're, they're equally up for the adventure. So the, 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 the main thing is you got to go and just do it. And it's called writing it on spec sometimes. Hmm. So you'll go, you'll go to say, play the most. Mongolian National Open. You haven't gotten a piece commissioned yet, but you write it. And that's kind of a thing you have to do first is you got to write it on spec because they're not going to say yes until they've seen stuff you've written. So that would be a big piece of advice. If you have a cool story that you, you're thinking of doing, do not waste a month of your life pitching it out to different magazines. Go and, go and do it. It's like, you, it's like you with the pod. It's like you go and, you go and do it. Right. Um, and it's still an advantage I have over people on staff at magazines. So like, for example, going to Nepal, I, I don't think that a magazine is going to send one of their writers over to Nepal uh, and pay for everything. So you have to figure out ways to make it work. So I pitched, I actually did pitch then uh, a piece to Lynx magazine about golf in Nepal. And that covered most of the travel over there. And then I wrote some articles when I got there. So a big thing is for me is it's like, get a couple articles. Like you can write about the food scene there. You could write something about, for me, it's the golf scene. Um, if you do a couple, you'll make it work. And again, you're not going to get rich off of it, 
but if you have a story like, you know, when I, when I discovered there was the, uh, the longest golf course in the world was in the Australian outback it takes five days to play and you got to go in your car for a couple hours in between holes. Cause every hole's in a different town. <laughs> we, we made it work. And I, and I got a, a piece for Condé Nast traveler about that. Um, but that in itself is not ca- covering travel, you know? So you get over there, you make it, and then you find another article to write as well. So I wrote a piece about, um, this crazy town called Port Lincoln in Australia. So that's a big thing is you just, you just go and do it. And if you wait for an editor, to give you the green light, you can sometimes be waiting for two months and you, and you miss it. Love it. I might need to join one of these adventures sometime soon. Oh, I'd love to have you. I'm always, I'm always looking to rope in uh, friends to come along. Cause you know, not, you need a, You need a certain amount of, yeah, this will be fun to go to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia and drink fermented horse milk. Right. Now, I feel like you're in that camp. I feel like you're <laughs> yeah. on board for that. You know, I'm out on the milk, but anything else I'm good. Okay. Okay. You stay thing. out in the milk and then the family's looking at you with these eyes that are just like, make us proud. It's going to be hard to say no to that. That's true. That's true. Okay. We'll last see how question. you do in front of the milk test. Last question for you. This is, this is a deep one. Okay. Um, okay. We haven't talked about this. You come on three times. Like I said, we haven't talked about your actual writing process. I don't know if you've read sure. this book. I just finished it for the second time. It's called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Um, he wrote... I'm not, no. It's fantastic. It's, it's all about overcoming self-doubt and creative resistance and learning to just sit down and start writing. He's the guy that wrote Legend of Bagger Vance. So I would love, love to know, and I think every aspiring writer um, or existing writer wants to know... What's your process and what's your biggest challenge um, that either you've overcome over the years when writing sure. your St. Andrews book or a new article for golf.com? A lot of people struggle with the blank page and sitting down. Is there anything that has worked for you or thoughts that you tell yourself or, or processes that help you get through it? Yeah. So my biggest piece of advice, I, I, I tell everybody this, is when you go, when you go to write, you leave your iPhone in another room and you don't get the Wi-Fi code. So when I wrote mm. American caddy in St. Andrews, I was writing it in the St. Andrews library, never brought my phone, never asked them for the Wi-Fi code because it, it, all of these, all of these distractions in our life are distractions and every app on your phone is designed to distract you and to make you spend time on it. And I haven't met one person in life. I've met some dedicated people as you have too. And I haven't met anyone who's strong enough to overcome those things. So quite honestly, if you're trying to write an article and you get your phone next to you and you've got, and you've got the internet booted up on your computer, like good luck. It, you've just made it five <laughs> times harder. Yeah. Get the, get the Wi-Fi off. <laughs> Do not just make a, make a point of, of not opening it up at all. Like just start, turn the Wi-Fi off for an hour when you're writing, have your phone in a different room. Uh, and you know what, if you see yourself, uh, if you find yourself getting a little tired or you start looking at the same thing, get up, walk around. You know, you're not going to write an hour straight. You're going to write in like 10, 15 minute blocks. Mm-hmm. You're a little tired, get up, go have a snack. Um, those are, those are times that we would normally go on Twitter. We get like a little tired 10 minutes in, you know, you don't do that. Get up and walk around and do not, um, do not get the Wi-Fi code. <laughs> well, there you have it to become a New York times bestselling author. Leave your phone in the other room and don't have Wi-Fi. <laughs> I think that's the most practical advice I can give. And then, there you go. And then also I'd say, I'd say one more thing. The first draft is going to suck. 
the first version is going to be bad. Like yeah. just it, that will happen, but you have to do that first version because then you look at it back up and guess what? You're not intimidated anymore. There's no blank piece of paper in front right. of you. You got, you got an actual draft. That's the thing that's easier said than done. Just write it out. And then, and then one more, one more thing for you guys. Like if you're doing something cool and you say, Hey, I may want to write about this at the end of each day that you're doing it. Let's say you want to write a thing about, your local club championship or whatever. At the end of each day that you're doing this thing, you're going to write about take notes. Mm. And by take notes, I mean every day after caddying, I would write down just like the highlights that had happened from the day in St. Andrews highlights, lowlights. It's just basically stream of consciousness, write down like half a page, just stuff that happened literally like bullet point it. And it's amazing because what I tell people is after, you know, you go to the end of that, of that day, you have like a hundred percent recall. Next day you try to remember that day. You have like 70% recall. The next day it's like 30. So you need to get those fun little details. You got to write them down at the end of the day. So good notes and no Wi-Fi. Love it. Well, we've talked for an hour, seven minutes. So thanks again for coming on. This was great. Um, make sure you guys go check out caddy codes on, uh, just Google caddy codes with Oliver Horvitz. And Caddy with IE. Uh, and hey, yeah. maybe I'll see you in at Beth Page in a couple weeks. That would be really fun, Evan. Let's uh, let's go have a beer and watch uh, and watch Tiger get started uh, in the practice rounds Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm looking forward to it. Let's do it. Thanks for coming back on, Ali. This was great. Thanks, man.